kids with the same content we are developing here, both in our sermon series as well as in our children's ministry. They, they flow together. It's quite amazing. Um, and uh, <clears throat> before I go any further, I just want to um, sort of, you may hear me clearing my throat, a little sniffle here and there, perhaps even a cough. I have tested for COVID. I'm negative. I try to be positive, but this time I was negative. So um, just want to let you know that I, I, thi- I, had a, I was feeling bad earlier this week, and I'm, it's one of those deals where I'm like 90%, and there's still a little bit of clear stuff in my sinuses that just is annoying the tar out of me. So I just want you to know it's, it's not that. Uh, there may be other reasons to run for the door, but that's not one of them today. All right. Um, all right. What else? Uh, Tuesday nights at 7, we have a Bible study that follows along with the content that we're developing in this sermon series, Messiah Song. Um, and that's uh, you can the same Zoom channel that, that we have going this morning, Tuesday nights at 7. And good discussion, interaction. Hope you can be there for that. Youth group. Yes, it does. And we are meeting in workshop format um, in the evenings, on Sunday evenings, about 5.15. Uh, those of you who are engaged in that can zoom in then, or you can reach out to your youth mentor uh, as they're developing your, your content for this summer's sermon series uh, to meet at a time that's convenient for both of you. So a little flexibility there. Then... Um, Let's see, today, after the service, we are hosting a Discover Hope, and Discover Hope is intended for those who are interested in uh, the considering whether Hope Church should be their church home. It, we, will, we will do three Sundays. We'll start today. We'll take a big leap over Mother's Day, and we will land the following sun, two Sundays and sum it all up. So that starts today after church. We will feed you lunch. You don't have to worry about that, um, but if you are at all considering Hope Church as, as for membership, please, you're invited to come and stick around and attend that uh, along with some others today. Um, then, let's see, we're going to, um, we have an announcement about Pastor Miguel uh, coming, he's, our, he's the pastor of our sister church in central Cuba. And he's coming in June um, to be with us. Uh, he's going to be uh, working in on some of our blueprint sites and helping out there and getting to understand that aspect of our ministry. Speaking of which, um, if you are do, are, do we still need signups? So we still need people to sign up for Blueprint. Blueprint is our summer youth missions trip. We work with this organization called Blueprint Ministries. And they house kids from all over the state who come in for a week at a time, and they sleep there, they eat there, and they go out every morning and fix up homes of people who were living in our community at one and a half times the national poverty level or lower. And we share the gospel through service, and it's kind of cool, and our kids are really good at it. So um, that's coming up. If you haven't signed up, please do so. Um, And there's links on our website. You can just go to our website, click through and find ways to sign up there. If you want to come down that week and serve dinner while our kids are there, um, you can sign up on the Blueprint Ministries website, 
uh, just Google Blueprint Ministries and you will find them and you can sign up to, to be one of our servers for dinner. It's kind of nice to see familiar faces while we're down there. So encourage you to do that. Um, let's see. What am I missing? I think that's about it. Did I forget anything? Not that we know of? Okay. You do not have to be a member to go and help with Blueprint. But we will run a background check on Jack because he looks a little shady. <laughs> but you knew that when you married him. So, all right. Um, <clears throat> okay. Why don't we have all of the important people come down to the front? If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time. Hello, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Um, where are you? At church on the floor, right? Why is that? Hmm. That is a good question. So, you're at church. What is a church? A place you go to worship God. All right. That's, that's the church building. Do you know what the church is? What is a building made of? Bricks, wood. All kinds of things. Sticks. Bricks and sticks. All right. Um, what is a church built of? Perfect. Very good. Right? So God's house is built out of people. Isn't that crazy? Do you know where God lives? He does live in heaven. You know where else he lives? In your heart. And in my heart, in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, and in your heart, and in all of their hearts, that's where God lives. He's both high and lifted up. He's the God who lives in heaven, and he's the God who lives with us. And do you know what he wants his church to do? So is the church God's house? That's where he lives, right? He lives in your heart. He lives in our hearts. So we are God's house. Listen to this. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So what does that mean? God's house is a house of prayer for all people. Okay, that it's open to all kinds of people. Anyone can come into God's house right? Um, do you have to have blonde hair and blue eyes? No. no. Right? Anyone can come into God's house, and he wants his house, that's where he lives, to be a place of prayer. So, let's see. What does it mean to pray? What happens when we pray? We're talking to God. So, God wants you to sit down with him and talk. Right? And where do you have to be to do that? You can be anywhere. Do you have to come to church to pray? No, because you are the church. You can pray wherever you are, anytime. I think you get it. How about we pray now?
All right. Father God, we thank you that you have built us, your people, into a house of prayer, that your house, your church, where you live, is built of people, and that you want us to talk to you, you want us to listen to you, you want us to know you and to have conversations with you. And we thank you for the truth that you are a loving God who listens to the prayers of his children. And Lord, help us to remember that we can pray anywhere, anytime, because you dwell within each one of us. Thank you for that gift, for the presence of your Holy Spirit, for the life that you give to us spiritually, and just help us to stay in touch and communicate and talk to you wherever and whenever we can. We thank you for this gift and pray your blessing over these precious children as they study more of your word in Hope for Kids today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. And they're off. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit now and lead us into a deeper understanding of your love for us through Jesus Christ as a result of meeting you through your word this morning. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to do that, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens uh, in our lives that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins, and we thank you for the forgiveness that you have poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. We give you the relationships in our lives that are strained. We pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift up those whom we know and love who are sick, and we pray your healing mercies over your people. We lift up this country and our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed and we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them we lift up our men and women in uniform we pray that you would watch over and protect them we pray especially for those who are in harm's way and we ask that you would bring them home safely we lift up those military families that are separated from each other due to their time of service we pray that you would be close to those who are away and those who are at home We lift up those who have returned home from their time of service changed as a result of the sacrifices they were willing to make for our country and our freedom. We pray your healing over them. We pray that you would use us, your church, to shine your light into their hearts, minds, bodies, and souls to pour out your mercy, grace, and healing upon them. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We ask that your word would go forth through through your people and that it would not return to you empty. We think especially of the churches we are connected to uh, through our denomination and through our missions giving and the church plants that we support uh, here in Texas. And we just pray your blessing over each of those works. Um, And we pray that you would be with us as well. Help us, Lord, to not only understand your word today, but to carry it into the week ahead and live it out as you would will. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So 
we've been in a series of messages through, we're kind of jumping through the book of Isaiah. We started this in January, and we're, we've really been kind of hitting the high points and trying to stop at each of the thematic peaks in the book and look at how um, this incredibly unified piece of literature uh, speaks to us today. And to understand that, we've tried to go back and understand the historical context. I'm going to give you a little bit of that again today. And then someone recently asked me a question, um, and it went like this. They'd been reading along with the series through the book of Isaiah. And, of course, like, like everyone who goes to Hope, they were good students of their Bible at the same time. And they'd read their New Testaments, especially the Gospels. And they asked this question, did Jesus quote a lot from the book of Isaiah? And the answer is, uh, all the time. It, it's, it's, it's probably the book that was his operational manual while he was here on earth. He was very aware that he was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. The law, the Psalms, the prophets, the other writings that this was all pointing to him as the Messiah. And so as he, as he went around and he taught and he related to people, he was often either quoting or alluding to passages from Isaiah. And I want to sort of demonstrate some of that today. Um, so I'm a, I've got three little snippets I want to read with you. Um, and then in front of each one, I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction as to where Jesus alludes to these passages in his uh, writings, te his teachings with his apostles. So the, we're, we're looking this week at, at chapters 56 and 57 of the book of Isaiah. He has been weaving these three themes together throughout his work of the separation that our sin causes between ourselves and God and ourselves and each other. And then he's also woven in this theme of salvation, the ways in which God answers this problem of separation through a Messiah, a Savior. And then he also has been weaving in this theme of sanctuary, that, that when we find this Messiah, we find rest for our souls. And you're going to see all three of these themes in this passage, or in these passages we're looking at today. And before I read Isaiah 56, verse 1, I just want to um, have you listen when I read this for the echoes of two of the Beatitudes. You've heard the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, and then this Beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I want you to listen for echoes of those two beatitudes in Isaiah 56, 1, which says, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. And so, just like Jesus says in blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
as we do righteousness and our salvation comes, God's righteousness is revealed, meaning we see it. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Okay, now I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 56, verses 6 and 7, and it's chapter 7, I'm sorry, verse 7 of this chapter that Jesus quotes after he cleanses the temple, which is a story you probably recall, um, I believe, between the the two times that he does this, uh, on at least one of those occasions, the Bible says that he wove together cords into a whip, and then he carried a stick. I want you to think about that Jesus for a minute. All right, and we'll we'll see what he's aimed at in this same passage, um, <coughs> as we study more of this today. But there's that Jesus, and why would he be so zealous for the house of God? And well, the answer is right here. This is what he quotes uh, when he cleanses the temple, from Isaiah 56 verses six and seven. And the foreign, foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord. And to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And if you remember the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. He's, he's running out the corruption, the money changers who were exploiting the poor, who had to, there was a temple currency that you were required to purchase sacrificial animals from the priests with the temple currency. To get the temple currency, you had to take the money from wherever you lived and bring it there and convert it the temple currency and the exchange rate was always in the favor of the money changers and so the poor who might only be able to afford a pigeon for their sacrifice were still having to pay a pigeon and a half or pay for two you get one kind of thing they were being exploited by these money changers and Jesus ran them out of the temple court and said no no my house is a house of prayer so there are a couple of allusions there. And now as I read Isaiah 57, verses 14 through 21, you're going to see references to five more of the Beatitudes. Um, in verse 15, you will see reference to blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek. In verse 18, you will see references to blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the merciful. And then in verse 19, you will see a reference to blessed are the peacemakers. And as you see Jesus developing his beatitudinal teaching, you can literally see him just grabbing pieces of Isaiah and dropping them into what he's teaching. And it's it's really amazing. So here we go from Isaiah chapter 57, verses 14 through 21. And it shall be said, build up. Build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, 
I dwell in the high and the holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So, I want to just take you back to verse 14 real quick. It shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. So, Isaiah is writing in roughly 600 B.C. About 150 years later, well, in the interim between the time Isaiah was writing and he died, and the time that God's people come out of captivity, Jerusalem falls, and, and Isaiah tells God's people, look, if you continue to ignore your creator, it's going to get ugly. There are consequences to our sin. And sure enough, God's people ignore his instruction, his prophet, and God says, okay, I'm going to let the natural consequences of your rebellion play out. I'm not done with you. I'm just going to let you understand what the, the reality of being separated from a loving God. And so the Babylonians come sweeping in and take down Jerusalem. And when I say take down, I mean take down. Um, the modern-day equivalent would be Mariupol in Ukraine, just laid to waste. And the Babylonians were particularly good at this. And they knew that the centerpiece of Jewish culture and politics and religion was the temple. And so they hooked up oxen to the foundation stones of the temple and hauled them apart. In other words, you no longer have a place here without us. We are in charge. Our gods are now your gods. And we have stories of people like Daniel who went, yeah, right. I don't think so. Um, but Isaiah was writing over a century before, well, a long time before the collapse of Jerusalem. He predicted it. And then he even predicted that God would raise up kings who would authorize God's people to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And this, this call in verse 
14 of chapter 57. Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way is an allusion to that return. And that's what we're looking at today is that God, in the wake of the devastation that our sin causes, God wants us to come back. He wants us to return to that place where the altar of sacrifice is at the center of our lives, spiritually, ethically, morally, in every sense. And so this is our call to return, really, to the heart of God. To do that, we're going to take some clues, first from chapter 56 and then from chapter 57. In, in this, we're going to begin with this call to live in harmony with God's grace. This is the um, spiritual, ethical uh, call that is before us, that we are to be a people, as verse 1 in chapter 56 says, who keep justice and do righteousness. That is, we are to be the people who seek to make things right in this world. When you see something that is wrong, God is calling you to do something, to say something, to be present in a way that res is restorative. So we are to be a people who correct injustice in the same way that God corrects our injustice. The, the process is simple. We all, we all sin. Sometimes our sin is, is um, just sort of a mistake that we make. Other times, our sin is a little more insidious than that, or at least mine is. I'll just confess my sins. Um, and it's, it's deeply selfish, and it's, it's wrong, and it takes advantage of other people, especially when they're weak, and it leaps upon uh, others as if they are prey in some way. And this is the way sin works. These are the things we do in our lesser selves to one another. And we, by God's grace, our sin has been taken by Christ on the cross. And he did not sin but he took our sin upon himself willingly and laid himself down as a sacrifice for our forgiveness. This truth of Christianity should, on a good day, make it easier for me to not be selfish, to remember, oh, wait, before I rail on this other person, I should probably remember that I've been forgiven much that my injustices have been atoned for by another. And, and that puts me on level ground with all of humanity and with whoever it is with whom I am upset. And so we, as God's children, are to seek, be a people who seek to make things right, to correct injustice as he has corrected our injustices and to forgive our debtors as he has forgiven us our debts. Forgiveness should be our currency 
in the way we relate to people around us. As we try and seek to live in harmony with God's grace, to be a people who make things right in this world, we are to act as though we belong to God. People should look at us and say, that person is obviously living in such a way that they are surrendered to the will of God. That we, as Isaiah is calling us to be here, reflect God's love to others. This is primarily done through service. Um, The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. We are to reflect God's love to others we are at the same time to rest in his covenant together. There's a lot in here, all right? And let me just be very clear. Isaiah is is developing a concept here that is mind-blowing to the people in his context. That God's love, God's grace will be extended to all nations. They knew that Abraham heard that promise. They still considered themselves to be God's chosen people and the rest of the nations to be unclean. They were the Sabbath keepers. The foreigners were the Sabbath breakers. Name any of the Ten Commandments. There you go. It falls out the same way. And what we see here is Isaiah trying to remind God's people that God's plan was always to expand his grace and his kingdom to all kinds of people. And so this idea that um, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, it's not a threat. It's not not if you don't do this, God's going to get you. It's a, check this out, people who are completely not Jewish will come to a saving understanding of God's grace through the Messiah. All kinds of people from all nations will be brought into this cosmic family of grace. They will be the ones who, because Christ kept the Sabbath and all of the Old Testament law, can rest in the gift of his sacrifice for their forgiveness. So we are not to be obsessed with keeping a day holy unto the Lord. We are to be at rest with our creator through the work of the Messiah on the cross. Do you see the difference? The difference between uh, sort of a fearful obedience I have to keep this day holy. And the idea that Christ kept that day holy and frees us to live in a relationship with God where we have peace and comfort and grace and forgiveness and we can be in a state of rest spiritually in relation to our Creator because of what Christ has done for us. And so... We 
who rest in this covenant, we do this together, and we don't do it perfectly. I, I wish we did. Um, we don't always see eye to eye. Human relationships are not always pretty. However, God calls us to this togetherness in the context of his covenant to be a people who seek to make things right, to act as though we belong to him, and to return to his sacrifice on a regular or continual basis. So <clears throat> Isaiah 56 verse 7 mentions the central concept here. He's talking about all kinds of people, right? Who are brought into covenant relationship with him through the Messiah. And then he says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. The people to whom Isaiah is writing this He's, he's projected himself into the future, and he's writing to people who have been exiled. There is no altar. That's the powerful irony in these words. Isaiah already knows when he's alive that after his death, Jerusalem will fall, the temple and the altar with it will be destroyed, and there will be a people in exile without hope. What does he say to them? He defiantly says, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Wow. I, I say this almost every week in this series. I, I don't understand how Isaiah knew and saw and could foresee everything he did. Th this is truly mind-blowing stuff. That that there would be a return from total devastation? Who could see this coming? Well, it's the very heart of God, which Isaiah understood well. And so God, as he expresses himself through Isaiah, is pushing and pushing towards this idea that he wants us back, that he wants our hearts, that it's about love, that this engagement of our souls through the Messiah is life-giving and restorative, and we are to return in this hope. And so, we have this call to return to this place of sacrifice, the altar, where the lamb is, is slain for the forgiveness of sin. Ultimately, this happens in the Messiah, the Lamb of God, through whom our sin is taken away. This return to Christ's sacrifice allows us to express our joy. Where do I begin? We, I, you, all of us, are to be a joyous people. I mean, I am a Presbyterian, which means, you know, no joy allowed, right? That's, I think, what the translation is. Um, any recovering Lutherans might also understand 
we are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are loved. This should infuse us with unspeakable joy. Hey, smile. You're a child of God himself. He loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. So here we are in this calling to return to that sacrifice, to restore the joy of our salvation, and to engage in prayer. Every time we pray, we should come to God, and maybe we have this backwards. We tend to close with, in the name of Jesus, amen. Maybe we should open with, in the name of Jesus, and then fill it in from there. Maybe I'd be a little less selfish in my prayers if I started that way. Um, but God's house, that's your heart, should be a house of prayer. That this God who loves you wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to hear from you. And you might think, I'm, a, I'm terrible at prayer. No, you're not. No, you're not. And, and you know, if you want to take the, the God as our grandfather metaphor, my grandfather didn't care, like, how well I articulated my thoughts, right? He just wanted to spend time with me. And so there you have it. We are to be a people engaged in prayer, to be in touch with the one who loves us, who redeems us, who restores us, who calls us back to him time and time again. And so chapter 56 is a call to live in harmony with God's grace. Chapter 57 is a call to live to spread God's grace. That we are to we we are here for a purpose. To to grow God's kingdom, to extend his love, to spread his grace. We are to be a people who partner with God to prepare the way for others. Build up Build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. <clears throat> Let's give you one example of this. When, when hope was being started, um, we read some research on Americans' biggest objections to going to church. And one of the top three was churches are always asking for money. So we sat down as a team, and we said, well, there's, there's, two, there's two issues here. What, does the, what do the scriptures require of us in worship, and how can, we, how can we set those objections aside? How can we move them out of the way and, and leave people a cleaner approach to the cross? And, and our answer was that, that Scripture requires us in worship, when we gather to worship, it requires us to, to, to give an offering. It does not say that a church must pass a basket. It does not even say that that offering must be about money primarily. And so we, we have, at Hope, we have sort of retooled the concept of offering to include everything our time, 
our gifts, our money, whatever, right? That's between you and God, and so we don't pass a plate around. And I, I don't know if you've ever been in a church that does that, but I don't even like it. And I'm pretty comfortable in who I am in Christ, right? But there's that, well, I've got to put something in there. But I've already given, but I don't want to look like the guy. You know, and so there's this weird dynamic. The Bible calls us to offer ourselves to God as Christ has offered himself to us. So what am I going to do? Like die in the plate as they pass it around? Like that? What do you? You know, wh- that's what I should do. That would be really weird. Um, so we take we take that strange tradition out, but we leave in a time of offering. And what we're what we're trying to do is listen to the objections that people have to American Christianity. And say, fine, you don't like us passing a plate, we won't pass a plate. I don't care. And I've had, I've had colleagues who've told me, like, well, we used to not pass a plate, and then we started passing a plate, we got more money. I'm like, well, I'm not here for more money. Right? This is, about, this is about extending grace, about taking obstacles out of the way, about helping all kinds of people in their approach to the cross. To understand there that God loves them, that he forgives them, that he redeems them and restores them and calls them back. So we're not, we're not better than other churches because we do it that way. That's just one of the ways we took this little verse to heart. What can we move out of the way and still be faithful to what God called us to do as his church? And, and we, we all need to be thinking in those terms in individually and as a church I hope we never stop asking that question, that Isaiah 57, 14 question. We are to prepare the way for others to make the approach to the cross as level as we can and to move our own agendas aside. That is to consider the perspective of those who are not comfortable in their relationship with Christ, who are still searching it out trying to understand and move towards their Savior. We are to prepare the way. And to spread God's grace, there's an unusual turn here. If, if I'm going to spread God's grace, there's one place I need to focus first, and that's on my own sin. Verses 15 through 17 have an amazing contrast this holy one who is high and lifted up, who dwells in the heavens, right? I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And he goes into, in verses 16 and 17, this articulation of the entire relationship between God and his people leading up to the capture by the Babylonians of Jerusalem. Well, let's read it. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made because of the iniquity of his unjust gain I was angry. 
I struck him, I hid my face, and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. He's talking about all of his people. And when he says, I was angry, it's when he turns away and allows the Babylonians to capture Jerusalem and destroy it all. And it may sound harsh, but I I need to remind you God had a plan that was at its heart loving and merciful. And anyone who's ever been a parent understands there are times when you have to do things that aren't pleasant. And you have to enforce discipline in ways that aren't fun. But you do it because you have a loving and merciful heart within you and you have a view of what you want the outcome to be. And so God will, at times, allow us, through the tough love of his grace, to suffer the consequences of our sin. He's not punishing you. He's just letting you understand the reality that sin causes separation between us and our creator and between ourselves and each other. But that's not the end of the story. And so let's go back to our outline, this call to focus on our own sin. We, we do this by contrasting that with ourselves, with the holiness of God. Uh, if you've ever tried that, it doesn't last very long. Like, give me one attribute of God, anyone, anyone? Kindness, I'm not always kind. So we're done, right? I need to repent of unkindness. And so back I go to the altar of sacrifice. So God wants us to be focused on our own sin, to cultivate humility in our own hearts. And it is that humility that is far more likely to draw someone else closer to the Messiah than our pride, our confidence, or our uh, biblical knowledge. If, if we are to be a people who grow God's kingdom, who bring others to the, to the grace of the Messiah, we need to be focused on our own sin. We need to be humble. We need to repent of hypocrisy. Verses 16 and 17 talk about this, you know, the, the very people of God to whom were, were given the law and the prophets and the morals and the ethics of a living God, a holy and righteous God, and they are taking advantage of the poor. They are exploiting people. They are developing systems, even within the temple, to extort money from people for the sake of their religious obligations. This is not what God wants for us. He wants us to move from our injustices to a state of restoration where we are restorative in the way we relate to others. And so we're to prepare the way, we're to focus on our own sin, and in order to spread God's grace, we are to bear the fruit of redemption in our own hearts. So Verse 19, creating the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. I will heal them. 
that we, as God's children, are to be agents of healing and peace. This is the fruit of redemption, that we pay it forward, if you will, that we treat others the way God has treated us. And when our lips are bearing this fruit, it moves everyone around us toward redemption, toward the cross, toward the hope of our Messiah. And we are to be those who leave behind disruption and strife. So what is the fruit of the redeemed healing and peace? What are we called to let go of? Disruption and strife. And Isaiah uses this metaphor of waves on the ocean shore just churning up filth. That is who we are apart from God. Left to the worst of ourselves, that's all we get. God says, I want you to release that, to let go, and to live in such a way that you are an agent of healing and peace. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, at the ways in which you call out of us this life that is to be in harmony with your grace and that is to spread your grace. And Lord, we acknowledge that we are more often selfish and self-interested and not listening. And so we ask that we, your people in whom you dwell, would be more of a house of prayer. That we would search our own hearts for those things which are mire and dirt that we would turn them over to you place ourselves in the hands of the Messiah look to his sacrifice and be restored there in such a way that we live in humility and that we give off peace and healing to those around us Lord fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may fulfill your word in our everyday lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.